right, and we are rolling once again, Brother Kevin. It is a beautiful day down here in Oklahoma. How's your day going so far, man? It is going great. I just got done running, knocked out another four miles, so I am feeling good, man. And I, I'm excited about today for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't think I'm going to have to talk very much because I'm probably not going to know what I'm talking about <laughs> with, with who we have today on the show. You know, I've told people, and I'll let you introduce him in just a moment, but I've been telling people the past few episodes as we've been discussing the Bible and science and nature that I feel like I have been dipping my toes in the water while watching Lee in the, the deep end swim around. And today I feel like I have one of those inflatable animal split rings and my little floaties <laughs> on. And I'm just going to kind of just splash in the water a little bit and watch you guys do your uh, deep dives. So I'm excited. Brother, let me tell you something. I am excited too, because even though science is my wheelhouse, I'm definitely in the shallow end of the pool compared to our guest today. Um, I reached out to this uh, gentleman and this brother a few weeks back or well, about a week ago to invite him onto our podcast to see if he'd be willing to be a guest. Today, we have a very special guest, someone who's very dear to my heart. And I'll, I'll explain why to our listeners in a moment. We have Dr. Dennis Lamoureux. Uh, or Lamaru, I, I butchered it, and I even asked him how to pronounce his name properly. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's fine. Dennis, that's fine. Yeah, Doctor Dennis Lamaru, he is a professor of science and religion at St. Joseph's College at the University of Alberta. He is an author of multiple books covering the synthesis and reconciliation of science and faith. He has written extensively on this subject. He has lectured across the country, the United States, and Canada. And we are super thrilled, Dr. Lamaru, to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day and your schedule to join us. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity. Uh, I'm blessed uh, and I look forward to this conversation. And please call me Dennis. Okay. Well, Dennis, we will certainly do that. It's going to be hard for me to do that because I've, I've read a lot of your work. And one of the things we were talking about before we hit record on this podcast is Kevin and I have discussed kind of where we've come from in the past and past episodes on this podcast. And I have described in, in one episode in particular, and I've alluded to it in others, the struggle of faith that I had had and the faith crisis that I experienced. And your work was instrumental in helping me reconcile science and faith. And I'm, I'm confident in saying that without the work that you have done and the books that you have published, that I might not be a Christian today. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the work that you have done and for putting this information out there, because there are people like me who have had these struggles that need to read the work you've done, that need to realize that we don't have to choose between one way or another. There's a way forward that honors the science that we have discovered and what you have referred to as the book of God's works and also the book of God's words in the Bible itself. So thank you for the work that you have done as well. Well, Lee, uh, that's very humbling. Um, give praise to God and all this. Uh, the church is a very large group of individuals, and we're there to build one or another up, you know, with regards to our skills and talents and stuff like that. So uh, um, I struggled with this issue as well. Um, I see students in every class who are struggling with this issue. And I really think that... Uh, 
as as a church body, I think the churches today could be doing a better job of this issue because we know there's this massive exodus going on of young people leaving the church. And one of the reasons, according to the Barna study, is this science and religion, religion issue and in particular origins and evolution and creation. So um, thank you for allowing me to share some ideas and thank you for that very encouraging uh, testimony. Praise God. Yes, absolutely. And once again, thank you for joining us two Southern yokels on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, you know, I feel qualified to talk about this idea of science. I have a background in science. I taught anatomy and physiology at the, at the collegiate level for, for about seven years. I have a bachelor's in anatomy and physiology, a bachelor's degree in health and wellness. Of course, I have a, I have a doctorate in chiropractic. So, you know, well, let, let me just interrupt you there and say, I, I went to preaching school for two years and have a certificate to prove it. <laughs> well, I have some pieces of paper that say that I that I know stuff and and I'm 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 proud of those accomplishments, you know, not not in a prideful puffed up way. But then I look at your accomplishments and I'm like mercy sakes alive. It, I feel like it puts me to shame yeah. because you have three doctorates and I know, I remember how difficult it was going through the chiropractic program, which academically is as rigorous as medicine. Our scope of practice is much more limited. So, you know, our, our internship is much, much shorter, but it's, it's tough work. And to see you, you have a doctorate in dentistry. You also have a PhD in theology and you have a PhD in biology. And I can't even begin to fathom just the amount of work that you have had to do to earn those degrees. That's to me, that's an incredible accomplishment. That's an incredible feat. And well, there had to be a pretty powerful motivator that drove you forward in, in wanting to achieve those degrees. Well, the most powerful motivator. And I think, you know what I'm going to say when the Lord calls, you have to follow. And if you don't follow that calling, um, your faith is going to fall off the rails. So if you would have asked me when I got out of high school um, that I had a plan of doing three doctoral degrees, I'd have said <laughs> you were crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, m my idea of going to university was not to get an education, but to get a job. And the whole idea of dentistry was so I could play a lot of golf. I mean, golf, dentists play a lot of golf. <laughs> Got a lot of money to play golf. And I, I got in after two years of undergrad, and I was out of school by age 23. And I already thought being there for six years is already too long. So this whole gig, if you wish, called becoming an academic and all that, believe you me, this was never the plan. Um, <laughs> and when people say that faith is not compatible with scholarship or faith doesn't inspire scholarship. Well, my story is an example that my unbelief wanted me to stay away from university as much as possible other than to get a job. And this yeah. second, the, the two PhDs is after becoming a believer and seeing the necessity of doing training in both so I could uh, contribute uh, in the area of faith and science. Now, you pursued your theology PhD before you pursued your biology PhD. and that, That's from, correct. And, and based on some of the reading that I've done of your work, um, you had fallen away from faith after for a period of time, and then you had rediscovered your faith, 
and rediscovered Jesus and you recommitted your life to him and followed him anew. And is, is that initially what, what drove you and motivated you towards that theology PhD, or was there something else that took place in that time? No, you're spot on. That's exactly it. So let's rewind the clock just a little bit. Uh, I, I was raised in a good Roman Catholic home. I went to a good Roman Catholic boys school, uh, academically was very good. And I went to university in biology starting in 1972 and at the University of Alberta back then, your very first biology course was on evolution because evolution is the unifi unifying theory of all of biology. And basically by the time Christmas came along, so we're only talking four months, uh, faith was done because I was trapped like just about everyone else in this either or type of thinking. You're either on the science evolution atheism side or you're on the religious Christian young earth creationist side. Um, it also says a little bit of maybe that training in a Catholic school was not that good because it really didn't prepare me to go to a public university because my faith got you know blown out by Christmas time. Now, I did not become an atheist at, at Christmas time. I was, you know, we didn't have the term spiritual but not religious in those days. So I still had a bit of a nebulous God and I would call him a God of the emergencies, only when I was in trouble, so to speak. And, uh, you know, for example, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, when I thought my girlfriend was pregnant, boy, you never seen a prayer warrior like me. <laughs> I, mean, I can relate to that. And, yeah. and, I'm, and I might add the Lord answered that pr prayer. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't become a father back then, which would have been a complete disaster. Now, a lot of parents who are concerned about their children going to public school or public universities, and, and rightly so, They're, they call them public universities, let's call them what they are, they're institutions of secularization, and they see their children slowly slip away and lose their faith, and that happened to me. So between my third and fourth year of dental school, uh, I, I went the full route and became a, you know, a flaming atheist. So I was an atheist. I was living that stupid 1970s party lifestyle. <laughs> and um, the, the one thing in the middle of all the, the drink and drugs, women and whatever else, um, I use the expression, I bottomed out very early. I started to see the emptiness of this lifestyle. I started to think, well, how many more bottles of rum am I going to drink, you know, and get drunk and hung over and all that. And I thought, is this the way I'm going to spend the rest of my life? So anyway, uh, the military paid my way through dental school. You have a similar program called ROTC in Canada. It's DOTP, Dental Officer Training. And one of my postings was to Nicosia, Cyprus, the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean, to do uh, six months uh, peacekeeping. And I was the dentist to a regiment, a military regiment, an army regiment. And it was there that my faith got rekindled. And well, I mean, little did I know about all this. And I might add, I've got a Christian mom who's praying for me. I started reading the Gospel of John. Like, uh, you know, I look back at moments like that saying, why the Gospel of John? Well, how often have you heard of adult conversions coming out of the Gospel of John? It's the greatest gospel in terms of underlining that God loves us more than we could ever imagine. So yeah. the conversion happened in Cyprus. And I always like saying that 
you know, the Lord is a bit of a poet. I, and I was a peacekeeper who met the Prince of Peace during that, uh, during that period and uh, became a born-again Christian. Okay, I came to Christ because, and it was actually on, uh, it was a winter tour, so it was actually on Good Friday that I fully came to understand what it meant for Jesus dying on the cross for me. I didn't really fully understand that before, but at that point, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks and uh, just changed my life forever uh, in terms of God loves us so much that God would die for us. And if you really think and meditate on that, I mean, this is the God who created this amazing universe and he takes on human flesh and he dies for us. He didn't have to do that, but he still did it because he loves us more than we can ever imagine. Okay, so the conversion is because I want a new life. And, um, but there's an issue still roaming in the back of my mind. What about the evolution thing? And so I came back to Canada. Uh, I got led. And again, I'm looking back and I'm sort of seeing the hand of the Holy Spirit working. I got led to an evangelical church in 1980. And look, at in 1980, most evangelical churches are young earth creationist churches. And I get part of that group of young earth creationists and they're telling me we can prove the earth is 6,000 years old. We can prove it scientifically. We can prove evolution's false. Now, when I heard that, you, can, you knew this was going to hook me because I had to deal with the evolution thing. And this was, if you wish, good news, not yeah, capital yeah. G, capital N, but still it's good news. <laughs> and so uh, I become a flaming, flaming young earth creationist. And uh, I look back then, I sort of roll my eyes. I could turn just about any, <laughs> I can turn just about any conversation into a debate on origins and you know, I had about 15 minutes more knowledge than the average person and I could, uh, you know, <laughs> spin them around and stuff. And I'm kind of embarrassed of that. But anyway, that's where I was. So I came to the end of my military commitment. I'm a fairly new Christian at this point. And, you know, the question of what about God's will? Is God's will simply following, say, the Ten Commandments and, and God's moral laws? Where does God actually call us to do stuff? And the military were offering me some unbelievable opportunities. I mean, Lee will appreciate this. Um, there was an opportunity that if I wanted to pursue maxillofacial surgery, um, they put me in a hospital to, you know, get me interested in the, in the topic. Um, the other thing is the military was willing to pay my full dentist's uh, salary in the military to go back to medical school. So, you know, I had all these opportunities. Oh, wow. and, and at the same time, there's the, what is God's will? I mean, I'm growing spiritually, trying to make sense of things. And one of my arguments, well, Lord, you certainly want Christians in the military. And that's a truism. But here's the deal. Is God calling me there? And of course, I wrestled, I battled. And, and here's another thing, you know, sort of in the same way you say, Lee, you stumble upon some of my some of my literature, um, you know, there were mature Christians uh, in my church that were, um, you know, helping me work out these issues. And one in particular, and of course, it involves a, a gal in my church uh, who was in the choir, who I did everything to date. I mean, did everything <laughs> to date. And I, I couldn't get to first base with her. Um, 
But we remain friends. And she said to me in sort of a disgusting tone, Dennis, you're always doing this rationalization, rationalization, rationalization stuff. When you're on your knees, you're going to know what God's will is. Oh, man, I did not want to hear that. <laughs> I don't think anyone really does. No, of course not. <laughs> I did not want to hear that. And uh, Now, what I, age are you at this point, Dennis? I'm 25 years of age. So I'm okay. in my third year of practicing dentistry, and I uh, you get out of the military uh, the following year because I had a four-year commitment. And so... Um, when I was, and see, this is part of my own spiritual growth of God's will. When I was on my knees, I knew exactly where God was calling me. I knew exactly what school it was. And there was this one Old Testament scholar named Bruce Waltke. You probably know the name. One of the most important evangelical Old Testament scholars in the world back in the 80s. And so, um, so I wrestled, I wrestled, I wrestled. And so what did Dennis do? He went on to medical school. I, you know. I was biting the hand that was feeding me. And I went for three days and I quit. Um, oh, wow. You're yeah. channeling your inner Jonah in that sense, weren't you? <laughs> well, I, you beat me to it, man. Because I was, about to, <laughs> I was about to say, if you will look at my Bible, you know, my 40-year-old my NIV Bible, I've crossed out the name Jonah and I put the name Dennis at the top of this book. <laughs> Three days in the belly of the University of Toronto Medical School, and then Dennis gets spat out on the shores of Vancouver on the Pacific and, and Regent College. And so uh, I, um, and, and so part of the, the wrestling and the rumbling is that the Lord uh, had a sense of to get in, involved in this issue. And um, the other thing is, is the Lord, and we say this as evangelicals, that God meets us exactly where we're at. And for me back then, at that point, the only understanding of a creationist, someone who believes in the creator, was a young earth creationist. So the yeah. Lord used this because there were no evolutionary creationists. Um, I'm sure there were some in, the, in, in my church, but no one would dare say it, or, you know, lest they start a riot. And uh, so the the calling originally was, and this, and I am a little bit obsessive, was to do two PhDs, get a PhD in theology, you know, specifically the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 11. Then after that, do a PhD in evolutionary biology, but coming in under the radar, you know, going into enemy land to go ahead and learn all this evolutionary stuff and come out and uh, attack. Take it apart you know. and blow so it now, so, so, so now you're the spies in Joshua. Oh, yeah. No, I'm the spies in Joshua. Absolutely. So um, it started off with going to Regent College in Vancouver, B.C. on the University of British Columbia campus. Uh, during the mid-1980s, it was called the Golden Age of Regent. We had J.I. Packer, who's just recently passed away, Bruce Waltke, as I mentioned, Gordon Fee, Michael Green. It was unbelievably spectacular. But Lee is going to like what I'm about to say. I went to Regent College. And of course, when you're in a clinical program, like chiropractic or dental school, we don't do a whole lot of biblical interpretation of those programs, right, Lee? <laughs> no, you do not. You barely have time to breathe when you're in those programs. That's right. And you basically read your papers and your textbooks. Literally, there are no metaphors. There is no figurative language. 
And so I showed up at Regent College as a flaming young earth creationist. And I might add, with a lot of attitude, unfortunately, maybe too much testosterone or maybe a function of being in the military too long. And of course, I played, played college hockey, which is not exactly a genteel sport. And uh, I, I got in fights with just about everyone at Regent College. And it, it took me three years. I'm a bit slow. It took me three years to realize you can't read the Bible literally. This is an ancient. Look at the scripture. This is non-negotiable. Holy Spirit inspired word of God. But when the Holy Spirit inspired, he came down to the level of uh, these ancient Hebrews and used some of their literary techniques. So I left uh, Regent College to go on to do a Ph.D., but I left Regent College, and at the same time, I left Young Earth Creationism. And what I'm going to say is not to be insulting, but this is the conclusion I came after three years. I could not remain a Young Earth Creationist because it was not biblical. I know that sounds shocking. And the central thing I discovered is there was an ancient understanding of uh, how the world was made in those opening chapters. And so, and of course, my professors were helping me work some of this out. And we talk about the principle of accommodation, whereby the Lord comes down to the level of people, uses their categories to get across inerrant spiritual truths and make it very clear, I am an inerrantist. I'm a member of ETS, the Evangelical Theological Society. I sign something every year affirming inerrancy. And so what I'm seeing in the scripture is there's an ancient understanding there. And I, I, I have to acknowledge this. Um, a little aphorism that I developed through this process is, I shall submit to the very words in the word of God no matter what. And if the word of God is pointing me away from using the Bible as a book of science, then I will not use the Bible as a book of science. And so um, I left Regent College. Um, my love for the Lord, my love for scripture is, was as high as ever. And went on to uh, Toronto, Toronto School of Theology, which is this amazing uh, group of seven different theological colleges at the University of Toronto. And I registered at Wycliffe College, the evangelical school there. And what I did for my PhD is I shifted away from biblical studies, which at Regent, I was Genesis 1 to 11. And then I started going more in a theological direction. And I studied the first generation of evangelicals after Charles Darwin's famous book on evolution, The Origin of Species. And of course, part of my education is, you know, being shocked by all this stuff. Um, many of these guys were at Princeton. They're known as the Princetonians, amazing evangelical Christians. And they were showing me what they were doing. I mean, they all were evolutionists, but they made it very clear. This is not the evolution promoted by guys like Richard Dawkins. It's not an, an atheistic process, but rather it's a process that is, number one, ordained. That is, God ordered the evolutionary process. That evolution is sustained. This is not deism where God winds the clock and leaves. This is a personal God who upholds everything. And that evolution and nature reflect intelligent design, meaning nature points back to the mind of God. And so I went through that process and I saw this. I'm still an anti-evolutionist but I saw how they could do this. And a chapter of my thesis was on Charles Darwin's actual religious beliefs. And of course, you know, people have this, 
this his religious beliefs have been the actual stuff he's written has been ignored and people have created darwin to be an atheist he was never an atheist and he even says that late in life and the one thing i found so encouraging about darwin is he was being hit by nature left, right, and center in terms of this natural revelation in nature, this intelligent design calling out there's a God. And so here I was, I finished that program. And I was like telling my students, if I've got a, a group of students, I, I open my hand, I go, well, at this point, I've got one, two, three, four, five university degrees, and I still don't have a job. Are you encouraged? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, one of the things I really appreciate what you what you mentioned in in detailing your journey through that is how whenever you left Regent that you you know had grown in your love for the scriptures and in studying the Bible essentially that's really what led you away from young Earth creationism and in a nutshell that's kind of what did it for me too is in looking at at the science that exists and looking at the evidence that exists for evolution within different biological systems especially within within humans and within other organisms it was hard for me to to reconcile that but that wasn't really the hard part it was it was really studying the scriptures that led me away from that paradigm but where I struggled was in what do I replace that with? If, if yeah. I can't infer that literal sense of, of what the Bible says in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, well, then what needs to take its place? And that's where a lot of your work came in. That's where some of, where some of what John Walton's work came in. So it, in that sense, it was, it was very helpful for me. But what happened after you, you achieved your degree, your Ph.D. in evolutionary biology? Uh, okay. What, I, I, I just want to make a I just oh, want to make ahead, a comment. Ahead. Yeah, I mean, you and I have done the same thing. It's the text that, when you look hard at the text, that moved us away from this literalism. And yes. and so to continue this story, so at this point, having five university degrees, um, so I finished the theology degree, and and now following God's will. There was no drama anymore. There was none of this crazy stuff of going to a program and leaving. Um, it was, I, and, and, you know, it's, it's on my knees where the Lord says, you know, Dennis, you could get a job teaching theology. You have a PhD in theology, but Dennis, you want to get in science and religion. How much science do you really know when it comes to origins? You know, how much evolutionary science do you know? You know, it's like you and I, Lee, we're both clinicians. We know a whole lot about fixing people. But what do we know about the fossil record? What do we know about evolutionary mechanisms? You don't exactly. get that in you don't get that in clinical clinical school. And I mean, your experience is the same as mine. They throw so much stuff at us. There is no time to do things like evolution. <laughs> I mean, you're just barely true. living. You just barely got your head above water. Okay, so no drama. It was if I'm going to get in this discussion, Lord, I've and of course I had in the back of my mind doing the second PhD. So. Because I had a tooth background, because it was a dentist, I could go into a PhD program, the evolution of teeth and jaws, because I'd done all the basic science stuff, you know, uh, in dental school and prior to dental school. And the original plan was still there. I was a flaming anti-evolutionist, but I was going to do this under the radar. And what better way than to attack evolution than to be a PhD in evolution as you're reading gobs and gobs of papers. And I had a bit of a conspiracy mentality. All my 
notes and all my papers were written in code. In other words, if anyone ever found them, they would not know what I was doing. And so I started building this anti-evolutionary model. But you know what happened? And it's sort of like the regent thing. I had to take about three years to sort of get it into my skull. And I started seeing the fossils. You know, they say, and I used to teach this in Sunday school, there are no transitional fossils. Well, that just isn't true. There's a ton of transitional fossils. And then the other thing, I started seeing the new molecular data pointing that all living organisms are related because we're all using the same sort of mechanisms. And so after three years of seeing the data day in and day out, I just put my hands up in the air and I go, Lord, you created through an evolutionary process. And uh, the, the transition was, like I said, there's no drama. It was just sort of, okay, I've been sort of fed stuff that just wasn't true in Sunday school. God bless the Sunday school teachers, but, you know, and, and they haven't had the privilege of doing lots and lots of biology. So that's where the tradition's at. And uh, so I, I, you know, I came to embrace evolution. And of course, the term we're using today is evolutionary creation instead of theistic evolution. The problem with theistic evolution is two things. The word theist meaning um, various theisms. There's, not, there's all sorts of different views on a personal God. And um, the problem with using the word evolution as a noun in the term theistic evolution is it takes the theory and makes it the most important term and then takes God, the word theos, Greek theos, and tack it on as an adjective, which I find is a complete inversion of priority that's just wrong. I'm not going to have a yeah. scientific theory above God. So this term evolutionary creations emerged in the last 20 or so years. And the advantage of this term is the substantive, that is the noun, is creation. I am first and foremost a believer in a creator and that this world is his creation. He just happens to have created through an evolutionary process. And I also like so, to say it, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that that to me is, is the thing that's hardest for a lot of folks within evangelical traditions to, to understand is this idea that you and I on this and, and several others we see eye to eye on this with all of our brethren. We believe 100% that God is the ultimate first cause of all things. God is the author of all that we see and all that we behold. He absolutely created everything, full stop, period, end of sentence. There Amen. is no controversy there. No controversy yeah. there at all. Where the disagreement is, is the mechanism and the methodology by which God did what he did in the creative act. Yeah, that's no, the ultimate source of disagreement. Yeah, you're spot on. Look at um, God is the first cause of absolutely everything. That is a non-negotiable belief in my theology. Um, I say amen to that. Now, well, and that and that's well, I was just going to interject that growing up, and we talked about this a little bit before the we started airing on the podcast. But growing up, I went to apologetics classes in high school and my youth group would go to different conferences where we would be quote unquote trained by apologists to teach us how to handle, um, the, the horrible attacks, uh, on, you know, from these horrible liberal Christians who, who are just shouldn't even be Christians because they deny the literal account found in Genesis one and two. And it, they're, they're causing issues where there shouldn't be one. And Lee and I have talked about that a lot because this is something I'm still studying. 
and something that I'm pretty neutral on, to be honest, right now, because I am just learning about this right now myself. But the one thing that Lee and I do agree on, and I know you agree with this as well, is that this shouldn't be an issue to divide over. And unfortunately, it's the the side, the young earth side who is saying you have to see things, and not everybody, don't get me wrong, but the way that I was taught to believe this is that if you don't believe in a young earth, you're not a faithful Christian. You should not be considered someone who takes God seriously, someone who takes the Bible seriously. And when you when you frame it that way, it creates not only more division, but now it creates a problem because if I run into somebody like you, I've been trained to view you as the enemy. I've been trained to view you as someone who's trying to take me away from God. And that's what's so dangerous, that view that if someone does not take a literal creationist approach to Genesis 1 and 2, that they should be marked and they should be considered a heretic. That's something that Lee and I both have really for lack of better words, preached against on this podcast because we can agree to disagree. And that that's what it comes back to is God is the creator. That's really what matters here in this conversation. Absolutely. And the other thing I'd say on this is intelligent design. And I'm going to define it in the traditional way, not the way this group of guys at the Discovery Institute in Seattle define it because they muddle it up with anti-evolutionism. The traditional belief in design is this. It's the belief that the beauty, complexity, and functionality you see in nature, and right now I'm looking outside my apartment window at the beautiful colors of the trees, um, point to and reflect the mind of God. And so here is one thing that science has done to me. The deeper I've dug into science, the more I go, this is unbelievable, Lord. It's absolutely spectacular. And I'm going to even go one step further. The more I understand evolution, the more I go, Lord, this is unreal. Your mind is being reflected and your brilliance is being reflected in everything we see in nature. So would you say that with that that overlap and that appreciation and recognition of the imagination of God being reflected in nature as as a mark of the design or or the design we see in the universe being that um would you say that in that way the fields of theology and evolutionary biology dovetail together or are there some other nuances to that idea? Because it seems strange after hearing your story, it should make a lot of sense to our listeners, but at first blush, it seems really strange that someone with a PhD in theology, the study of God, the study of the Bible, the study of Christianity and, and, and Judaism and ancient Judaism, etc., it would be really strange to pursue that degree and achieve that degree and then pursue a degree in evolutionary biology. So are there other ways in which those degrees dovetail with one another and inform one another? Well, look, at I'm going to come back to the the original problem I had. I was trapped in a dichotomy. Uh, The culture is deeply trapped in a dichotomy, both secular culture and also the church. So in the minds of many people, when, you know, they hear me having a PhD in evangelical theology and then a PhD in evolutionary biology, they go, the guy must be, you know, he must be crazy. There must, there's something wrong with his thinking because the two can't work. And my experience is it, it starts with theology. That was my first step. And the great lesson was 
yes, the Bible is the Word of God, the inerrant Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God, but it is not a book of science. So the moment the Bible is not a book of science, then there's no potential conflict with the book mm -hmm. of nature and whatever you study uh, through your whatever scientific discipline you have. And if I can take it one step further, as I started discovering the Bible has an ancient science in there, you know, like a flat earth um, and a firm dome overhead holding up a sea of water, which of course most Christians are not aware of this, um, then there's going to be no conflict because what did the Holy Spirit do? He accommodated and used the science of the day. He came down and met them at their level. And you see, at a personal level, I experienced that, where the only understanding of creation I had as a new Christian was young earth creation. Now, of course, the Lord had a little bit of an education for Dennis along the way. And eventually I started <laughs> moving along the way and started realizing um, that, that, that theology and science are wonderful and also say holy activities to glorify God. And, and think about Jesus and, you know, his summarization of the Ten Commandments and his two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. I am convinced that doing good scholarship, whether it's in science or in theology, is a holy act. It glorifies God and it builds you up. So I don't see any tension between the two at all. Now, different types of data sets. You know, when it comes to theology, you're focusing on the scriptures. When you're, in my case, being a tooth evolution guy, my data set are teeth. And um, I, I tell you, when it comes to this, this summer was an interesting time because I was finishing a paper with my colleagues in the paleontology department at the University of Alberta. And you're going to get a light kick out of this. Uh, I was working on iguana teeth and how they attach to the jaw. So my morning was doing science. And then I was finishing up a book on biblical interpretation my book that just came out at the end of August, The Bible and Ancient Science. And so I was actually doing both I, the science and the theology on the very same day, sort of splitting them half and half. I usually don't do that. It's usually one or the other for a period of time. But no, I was doing both of them, and I started pondering on this going, this is perfectly natural. I mean, it is using this wonderful tool, gift that the Lord has given us, our minds, and you're going in there with a certain amount of anticipation to say, Will God be glorified by my work, you know, in terms of things I see in scripture and things I see in nature? And my answer, I will say, if for my summer experiences, absolutely yes. Both that scientific paper and that book on biblical interpretation were an unbelievable blessing. Dennis, let, let me ask you this. Why do you think that there are so many young earth creationist evangelical Christians who who oppose evolution and not just oppose it? but oppose it to the point of trying to draw lines of fellowship, trying to, uh, in, in some cases, uh, withdraw or excommunicate, whichever term uh, you'd prefer. But why do you believe that's the case? Why is it not enough for them just to say, hey, look, I don't agree with that, but that's okay if you accept that. I think you can be either or, and there's you know really no problem. Why do you think it's it's not enough for them to be okay to agree to disagree in that they oppose evolution uh, just so adamantly? And if I can well, tack onto that, why do you think, as, as kind of a follow, why do you think it's so hard for them to accept that they that that perspective that they have on origins might be wrong or might be flawed? Well, look at I I get it because I was that young Earth creationist. And I was that young earth creationist who in public 
uh, Q&As, I would take it a run at, at the evolutionists. And, and I had that same attitude that these guys who claim to be Christians, who believe in evolution, really didn't trust the Lord, didn't take the Lord at his word. Um, and they, were, they really shouldn't be called Christians. So I get this. But to answer the question is, and I and, and because I teach at a Catholic college, uh, which, by the way, I'm sort of in exile because the two denominations that I'm associated with won't touch me uh, and allow me to teach there. Um, well, you're welcome know, here, I, Dennis. Anytime. You're welcome here, man. We're like yeah. the, the island of the misfit toys. <laughs> there you go. Um, and, and I'm going to say something that might rile up some evangelicals. You know, as evangelicals, we sort of look at Catholics and say, well, we stand on the pure word of God. You guys have traditions. Hey, folks, we <laughs> have traditions and yeah, we have yeah, we some do. pretty intense traditions, including reading those opening chapters very literally and using, and I'm going to use the technical term, concordism. This is this sense that we have to find an alignment between what we find in nature and we find in scripture. And that is deeply, deeply embedded in our tradition. And if you so much as look in the other direction on that, then you're either going to be blocked out of schools, in my case, both Pentecostal and Baptist schools. Um, I'll give you an example of a church I was going to where, you know, a number of years ago, they wanted to have a heresy trial on me. Um, and the pastor, you know, instead of bringing me in and say, let's have a conversation, they want to have some sort of disciplinary thing. So it's built in the system. And, and at the same time, let me make it very clear. I appreciate how much young earth creationists uh, love the word of God and defend the word of God. But I'm going to take it one step further. Have you got the interpretation of these opening chapters correct? Are there some factors? Are there some pointers within the word of God that'll point you away from reading this literally? And I'll give you the easiest example is most evangelicals are not aware that there is an ancient astronomy in the Bible. And you don't have to go very far into the Bible. It's the second day of creation in Genesis 1. And God says, let there be, and here's the Hebrew, rakia. And the best English translation is a firmament, a hard, firm structure to separate the waters above from waters below. And of course, everyone's wondering, what the heck is this all about? And this is where I'll say, stop. When we read an ancient text, we have to respect the intention of the author. And in the ancient world at that time, they believed there was a dome above their heads called the firmament. It was clear and it was holding up a sea of water. And that's not such a bad idea. You know, without telescopes, they only had the naked eye. They look up and what do they see? They see this dome structure and it's blue. So to think there's a sea of water up there made perfect sense. Let's move on to the fourth day of creation. And God places the sun, moon and stars where? in the firmament. Isn't that what it looks like? The sun, moon, and stars seem to be just in front of that great big body of water being held up by the firmament. And what this is, is typical of the three-tier universe in that heavens above, there's a firmament holding it, and then there's a flat earth below. And that was the science of the day. And of course, some people will say, would God lie in the Bible? My students are always quick to do that. And I go, no, 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 God doesn't lie. What God did 
is God accommodated. He came down to their level and used their ancient science to get across some deep spiritual inerrant truths, such as I created the big blue dome. I created the sun, moon, and stars. I created you in uh, my image. And I created a world that is very good. And so it's the spiritual truths that we're to draw out from the scriptures. And of course, and John Walton at Wheaton has been masterful in terms of doing this, where he says, you know, there isn't one instance in the Old Testament where God inspired a modern science or a science ahead of its time. And John uses the word old world science. And I think he's spot on. And that's so coming back to, you know, your average evangelical. And again, I admire them for defending the faith and fighting for the faith. But I'm going to say there is an ancient science in the scripture and the Holy Spirit allowed it. It's an accommodation. Now, I'm going to make one quick comment about accommodation. Some Christians might think that this is watering down the Bible, and I'll simply say no. Accommodation is a principle that all of us as Christians understand. And the classic example, the greatest act of accommodation is the incarnation. God accommodated, came down, and took on human flesh in the person of Jesus. So accommodation in many ways is how God communicates. And so too, don't be surprised, there's accommodation when it comes to how God created the world. Dennis, I, I, I have a question I just want your thoughts on, and I may be completely off track here, but when you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of things that if if you're if we're just honest, it seems it's, it seems a little odd. I mean, you have a sacrificial system, you have a, a temple, and you know, of course, you you have Israel wanting a king, which that doesn't seem too odd because everybody always wants a king. But you begin to see how specifically the temple, the sacrificial system, that too, it, it, from my understanding, is accommodation because God never really wanted that per se. And, and we see that even in, in the book of Hebrews, that that was really never God's will, but God accommodated that. He He accommodated their understanding because if you worshiped a God, which everybody did, how did you relate to that God? Well, you'd go to the temple and you'd go to a place of worship and you would make a animal sacrifice. And so it even seems, aside from science, just the way in which God communicated and allowed his people to communicate with him was in large part accommodation based upon that day and time and that culture and the way that they would have understood God and the concept of God, just like all other nations would have. Am I correct in saying that? Uh, you're more than correct. I mean, that is, it doesn't get any better than that. So there are accommodations going on. And when it comes to sacrifice, this is not something specifically Hebrew. Everybody in the ancient Near Eastern world sacrificed animals. And but but what is the the impulse? What what's the great lesson from all this sacrifice? Uh, the sacrificing sacrificing that's going on is these people are trying to relate to God, and that's the way they related to God. So yes, God accommodated. He went through their categories, realizing that blood sacrifice was the way you atone for sin. And so he worked through their their category set. So uh, Kevin, you're, you're spot on. Absolutely. Well, and that, that helped me to understand this because we've done now, I think, 
three or four episodes, Lee, on this where you've been. I think we've done. We did. We did three episodes, and then the Q and A was number four. That's right. And, yeah, and we got into that accommodation and concordance principles. We we talked about those ideologies. I think episode before last. Well, so to our listeners, go back and listen to that if if you'd like a refresher on that idea. Well, well and we had people reach out specifically to me. I, I had several people tell me that. Yeah, I need to be careful with with co-hosting with Lee because they think Lee's a good guy, but it seems like he's going down just a very dangerous path. And and I just had this conversation with with them. I said, look, you believe in accommodation. And and they agreed with me on these principles. And I think it's it's important for people to see this isn't special pleading just for the quote unquote bad science we see in the Old Testament. This is the way we see God operating in multiple different ways, whether it was a sacrificial system, whether it was the temple, even the king. And we know for a fact that was accommodated because God said, (laughs) you know, no, this isn't the point, but you want you, okay, I'll accommodate this because you want to be like all the other nations. So we, we even have an explicit example of, of God doing that. So it really shouldn't surprise us that if he could do it there, he could do it in other places. Yeah. And why, Oh, go so, ahead. Sorry, I, sorry. I, I'm going to bring you right back to Jesus. What is the Jesus event? <laughs> yeah, it's God. And you know, we use the letters G O D. You know, and we have sort of an abstract. And here's what science does to me: God created this amazing world, and this world is huge, big, and complex. I mean, can I fathom the mind of God? Of course, Isaiah says, "No, you can't." And so. God has to accommodate. I mean, we're finite and sinful. He's holy and infinite. By definition, God has to come down to our level. And I think what is so amazing about Christianity is God decided to take on human flesh. If that is an accommodation, I don't know what accommodation is. And the other thing, I do have that personal story. When God started calling me, he worked through young earth creation. That was the only understanding of creation I had. If, if, if he would have used evolutionary creation, I would have melted down and I don't know where I would be today. <laughs> but at the same time, God also, and this is, and we all have, we, we grow spiritually. That's why we have to be in the word of God every day. Um, and we grow intellectually. And so accommodation and, and and there will always be accommodation because God is infinite, God is holy, we're sinners, and we're finite. So there will always be this dropping down to our level for us to understand. Now, here's the interesting thing. As you grow spiritually, and I'm sure you guys have seen this, the level of discourse between you and God in your prayer life has it not risen over time. And, oh, yeah. Okay, and that's my experience as well. And I fully expect this to continue until I have my last breath on this planet, until I get to meet the Lord Jesus. And on that note, we will bring this episode of the Exploring Faith and Pursuing Grace podcast to a close. Join us next week as we continue our interview with Dr. Dennis Lamaru, and we continue to discuss science and faith and bringing all of those things together in a way that is reconciled in a manner that honors science and that also honors God. We thank our listeners. We thank you all so very much. We ask that you would continue to pray for us, that you would like our podcast, that you would join our group on Facebook, follow us on Facebook, share this podcast with your friends, give us a five-star review, and remain with us as we continue to explore faith and pursue grace.